Welcome to the Indoor AirPod, a show dedicated to our shared surroundings with industry heavyweights that are dedicated to designing, developing, manufacturing, and disrupting the status quo in order to make all our spaces cleaner and safer for everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Indoor AirPod. I'm Gary Moody, the host. My guest today is Anna Bennett. Our company is Aura Technologies. Also sitting in today is J.B. Anderson, the producer of the Indoor AirPod. Hey, Anna, it's, it's great to have you on. Really appreciate your time today and uh, welcome. And I uh, look forward to learning about, you know, your company and what, you know, what's new and exciting. And uh, to get started, why don't we, uh, if you would, uh, share a little bit of information about who you are, your background, and we can talk about your company and just go from there. Sure. Well, yeah, thank you very much for having me, Gary. This is a pleasure. Uh, so, Anna Bennett, I'm co-CEO of Aura Technologies. Um, here today to talk a little bit about Aura Ion Bar, which is one of the products uh, that that we have at the company, among others. Uh, but just a little bit about my background. So I have a, a degree in biological sciences from UNC Chapel Hill. So that's why I started. Um, have a an interesting career path. Uh, started out in sales. Didn't like that very much, even though I I. I did well, um, but wasn't my cup of tea. I really wanted to get into an area that used my sciences background, um, and you know, did something that that really helped uh, more than than what I was doing previously. So, I actually got into uh, pharmaceuticals, biotech space. Um, I worked for GlaxoSmithKline, various individual contributor and leadership positions there. Um, from there, I worked at a Fortune 500 company, uh, which you may or may not be familiar with. It was Quintiles at the time. It's now at Cuvia. Um, I, I led uh, the operations of about 150-person department. I had 40 people reporting into me in various um, uh, countries, and uh, I was the head of content development there. So we, we uh, managed uh, patient recruitment materials for clinical trials. So ensuring that the materials were appropriate, um, well understood by patients and all of that. So that was that was a really great experience. Uh, so I was in sort of big corporate for a really long time and uh, there are lots of benefits of that and I enjoyed it and I learned a lot, but really was eager to sort of be my own boss, if you will. <laughs> so, and and have a little bit more flexibility and and, doing the things that I wanted to focus on and helping the world um, in a more significant way, having a bit more of an impact. So um, actually my husband and I uh, work together as co-CEOs at Aura Technologies. So Douglas Bennett is my, my husband and co-CEO. And uh, we, we have Aura together. We've been building it for about the past six, seven years or so. Um, so Aura is an interesting business model. So we have uh, lots of different technologies. We're strategically diversified. So we, we have uh, government contracts. Uh, and so some of the uh, technologies come out of those, but we've, we've also invested in them on the commercial side as well. And um, we have some COVID response products um, and technologies, one of which is the Aura Ion Bar. Uh, but we really, we're in artificial intelligence, we're in additive manufacturing, and we have um, the health related products as well. But the 
the health space is really a passion of mine. I'm also very passionate about climate. So, you know, that's that's probably going to be the next area I tackle. But this this particular problem came out of the, the technology rose out of COVID. We have a lot of very, very smart technical folks at Aura PhD level, um, technologists, scientists, engineers. COVID hit. It was a very uncertain time for everyone. And we decided we wanted to see if we could help with the fight uh, against COVID at the time years ago. And so we had a brainstorming session. We brought everyone together and uh, a couple of ideas came out of that that we thought were worth pursuing. One of which is this technology we'll talk about today. Um, so, so it was sort of an altruistic start, if you will. Uh, and it still is, it's still an altruistic endeavor actually, but we do think it could be very, very helpful in the world. You and I definitely have something in common. Uh, pollution sickens and pollution kills indoors and outdoors and pollution plays the leading role in climate change. Mm, right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, when, whenever I hear the term personally, the environment or even indoor in, air, IAQ, indoor air quality, I immediately think personally about what's harmful that's a pollutant that could sicken or kill us, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And as you know, it's extraordinarily complicated. So if I'm understanding you correctly, your, your company is co-owned. You, you, you and your husband started Aura Technologies. You've really branched out in a lot of different areas. And you know, I, I, I like very much how it sounds. Regarding IQ, right now you have the uh, Aura Iron Bar. Can you give us a sense about what that's about? Ionization, as I'm, I'm sure you're aware, it's been around for a hundred years or whatever. I mean, it's nothing new. Right. And I think well, a logical question, uh, you know, what, what separates you from, you know, all the others, so to speak? Yes, that's a great question. And I think part of the challenge we have with this technology is that we are creating a new category in this space that people are not familiar with. Um, it is, it's very innovative. Um, the ionization, the negative air ions are not innovative. As you know, they, they actually mm -hmm. exist in nature. They're um, but they've been produced, um, you know, in commercial products, and uh, there's there's maybe some mixed reviews on on those. So we took all of that into account. Uh, what what the Aura Ion Bar does is it is it is think of it sort of like a force field of air that is infused with very highly concentrated negative air ions. So what this does is it blocks contaminants. From entering a space, so rat, so it's more of a um, offensive type of technology, if you will. So it works in complement to a HVAC system, a filter, uh, you know, a unit on the floor. There's tons of really, really effective technology out there, and we are not trying to get in that space. And we appreciate that space. We are assisting, and we are complementary to that those types of technologies. So the way I see it, it's almost as if we're making the, the filtration systems easy, their job easier. So if you can, again, if you can block it, block the contaminants before they enter, then you have a, a more, um, what's the word? Um, you have an environment, sort of a closed environment that of course, you know, there's ventilation involved in all of that, but you have a more closed environment that you can keep clean. Um, without having contaminants constantly coming in either through a window or doorway 
or, or anything like that. So that's one use case. The other use cases, which I think are really interesting and speak to sort of the spirit of what we were trying to do with the technology was get folks back into their spaces and feel more safe and comfortable. Uh, you know, we were all hiding in our homes for years, barely, you know, we'd go to the grocery store, but not a whole lot outside of that. And so, you know, the idea originated with uh, a personal ionizer, interestingly. We started with that idea and decided, ah, you know, basically it would be something that you'd wear on your face and without, it would replace a mask. We decided the world probably wasn't ready for that. So we did this sort of over window, over doorway um, uh, type of technology. But the idea is that you could place one of these at a point of sale, for instance, if you're at a Starbucks and you're you're walking up to the the barista, and you know that person is being exposed to hundreds of people a day, and if you place this again, it's sort of like a force field uh, between the the client and the the barista that they, they it provides protection um, and it it helps uh, protect both parties, if you will. Uh, there's lots of it. We can talk about all the use cases. It's kind of fun. I, I always get new ideas when I talk to new people. They think of different applications. I'm like, oh, that's such a cool idea. But uh, but hopefully that you get the idea behind it. Yeah, you bet. Is your market then, if I if I'm understand correctly, it's it's primarily commercial. Uh, you want to go in all types of buildings, and obviously there's there's millions of buildings. And as you're speaking, I can certainly envision there's just so many applications for it. There, there are. Um, that's another challenge we're, we're tackling right now is because we see this able to be applied in so many spaces. So I, I personally, I have a, a child that has severe allergies. And so if we were able to help control the pollen count in our home, for instance, by putting and and my child can open their window and we can put this over her window, that that that's kind of a game changer for her. So so it could certainly be implied in homes. Um, there's a consumer market for it, for it, uh, but we are currently focused more on the commercial sector with you know okay. creating safe buildings and contributing to that. that yeah. How, what are your plans in the future? How do how do you go to market? Uh, obviously, there's the internet. Uh, the question becomes how do you you know how do you how do you draw more attention to who you are, what you do, you know all that good stuff. Yeah. So uh, we have we're in the process of. Of formulating our go-to-market plan, there's uh, uh, we have strategic advisors that are helping us with that discussion, and you know how best to get it out, and you know where to start first really is the question. Where where can we have the most impact? Where can our technology solve a problem that no other technologies can? And that's that's actually what the meat of it and what we're working on right now. Uh, but the goal is to launch uh, into market later this year. Okay. Yeah, the reason I ask that, uh, one thing that comes to mind is the HVAC industry. Uh, you know, there's millions, tens of millions of HVAC systems, and uh, I don't know if that if it's true. I don't know your price points and how you want to go to market, but HVAC distributors are all over America. They stock uh, thousands of HVAC products, and including IAQ-related. Yes. Uh, that might be one route. And then long-term HVAC contractors will go into millions of homes and buildings. Right on service calls, and you probably know all this. So, uh, regarding ionization, it's been around a hundred years. Uh, is there any chemistry involved? 
in your technology? It's not um, ventilation. It's not ventilation, and you're not filtering. It's not a filter. Correct. Okay. Yes. yes, it's not. It's not, and I wouldn't even call it an air purifier. Although it does have the ability to purify the air, because NIIs are inherently germicidal. So uh, that's just how they work. So we've done lab lab testing on the the unit, the the model that we have that we're going to market with. We received amazing results, actually better than expected. As you can imagine, because we're highly, highly technical company, very science-based, we were really serious about making sure that the product worked like we said it did, and it was as effective as we think it was. So we, we've done a number of studies. You can go to the website and check that out if, if you're interested. But uh, but it, it was like a four, three to four log reduction of uh, you know COVID. We tested it on RSV. Uh, we tested it on a type of mold, aspergillus uh, fumigatus. I can never get that name right. Um, we tested on uh, uh, smoke, actually, was another one that we want because of all the wildfires going on. So we have a lot of really great results from that where it it 99.99% uh, blocked uh, the contaminants from entering the the other side of the test chamber, which, by the way, you know, I, I don't know if you're knowledgeable of the, sort of the, the testing of some of these purifiers and some of the um, the things on market. Uh, you know, from what our research found is that you can make a claim on something if you, you know, for instance, you hold something two inches away from the outlet and say, oh, it, it can decontaminate the surface. Well, we're like, well, that doesn't make sense because it's not going to be two inches away from the surface. So all of our lab studies were built in a real life, um, real size container. They built for us, they built us a, a large room with a real doorway and they would inject the, so as if it was a real life situation, so. Yeah, that's interesting you mention that because back in the early days of COVID, I was 99% certain that there would be one or a couple companies would, that would provide third party COVID effective results and they're 99%. And what happened, and you probably know this, there's a whole bunch of companies that went on to provide basically the identical results. It was widely circulated. Uh, and I certainly don't know if it's true, but one company that generated an enormous amount of business, it was, uh, you know, it was reported their test chamber was the size of a shoebox. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 I've and heard I and I, yeah, and I won't mention a company's name. Another right. company claimed that their uh, test chamber was a thousand square feet. But regardless of lab conditions mm -hmm. and a test chamber, as we both know, uh, you know, most people don't live, work, or eat inside of a test chamber. What do you have? Real world test results? Is that something that you either have or, or will provide more and more of? Yes, and that's exactly that's exactly we are constantly trying to poke holes. We're not trying to believe our own our own stuff. Uh, so we we actually are working with a local pharmacy right now. We're going to be doing an install okay. at a pharmacy, and we're we're developing the protocol right now of how we're going to test and sample the air uh, where the the patients or the the customers are standing versus the the cashier um the person actually you know handling so that's a really really good use case that we thought you know especially during 
flu season. Uh, you know, everybody seems to be sick right now. So we hope to have that install within the next couple of weeks. And we're going to be collecting data and surveying uh, the employees as well to see how they feel about, you know, how it went for them, uh, see if it helped with that absenteeism and all of that. So, okay. Regarding schools, hotels, hospitals, uh, there's a big, big long-term market uh, for just so many different types of buildings. In your opinion of the, of the three I just mentioned, schools, hotels, and nursing homes, which do you think has the worst indoor air quality? Schools, nursing homes, you know, it's hotels? Yeah, it's an inter interesting question. And, and it reminds me of the, I listened to most of your podcast with Lisa Greenfield, and I really enjoyed that and her focus on schools. And she's, she's just so knowledgeable in that space. And so I'm convinced it's probably schools, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Just the shape of our schools is, you know, and I do have uh, children and, you know, and we're in a really good school district. It's a very well-funded school district. And they're still, uh, the schools are, are, you know, they're doing their best, but it's, it's a funding issue. I get it. Uh, so I would, I would say that nursing homes is probably not, not fantastic as well. I think a lot of those are older, um, you know, unless it's a, a well-funded one, but yes, yeah, it's, it's the elderly, obviously they're extraordinarily vulnerable to, to yes. IAQ. Yes. Um, in your opinion, if somebody asked you, or maybe they have before, what are the top three or five most harmful pollutants, in your opinion, indoors? Top three, four, five, just a handful. Yeah, I'm not an expert in this space. I will caveat that. But off the top of my head, I would say, you know, carbon dioxide, VOCs is probably a big one uh, that people, I, I think it's becoming more of the conversation, but that's a, that's a major one. And that's also a really difficult one to monitor because if uh, somebody walks in with a strong perfume or cologne, it could set off the monitors. And so it may give an inaccurate reading, uh, but that's a big one. And, um, you know, aer aerosolized viruses, I think obviously that's that's a big one as we yeah, found yeah. out with COVID. <laughs> Regarding IAQ monitoring, it, are they, is that something you're, you're involved with now or, or do your plans in the future to uh, be able to establish that, hey, your technology works, here's why, because you, you are monitoring the before and after? Yes, yes. So that's actually part of uh, what we're doing right now. We're, we're either, I personally would prefer to just partner with a company that has a really good technology for monitoring already with an app and all of that, and we can just integrate it into our technology. We don't need to reinvent the wheel on that. I know a lot of companies are, are coming out and starting to do that. Uh, we could develop our own sensors with an app and all of that. But again, it, it, to me, it makes more sense to, to have bring another company in that's doing great work in that space. Um, so that, but that is absolutely part of uh, what we will be offering because again, it's every, it's all invisible. How do you know it's working? You know, I tell you, it's a, it's a force field. It's like a force field and it's infused with these germicidal ions and okay, we'll prove it. You know, I mean, that's, we, we can prove it. Um, we're very confident in the technology, but, you know, there needs to be, I mean, I would like to have an indicator of some sort on the device itself um, with various sensors in different spaces, wherever it makes sense that, you know, the, that you can, you can understand that this thing is doing its job and my air is uh, better than it was before I installed this thing. Okay. What, 
one pollutant that uh, I, I personally think it's kind of under the radar, so to speak, that over 50% of homes in America have one or more gas appliances, right? a, a gas furnace, a gas stove, um, a gas water heater, uh, a gas clothes dryer, uh, a chimney that could get blocked, uh, whatever number, whatever number of gas generators. And there's, I think it's under the radar, but every winter, there's a lot of news that does not make the national uh, news cycle that people were sickened. They didn't die, but they were sickened from carbon monoxide poisoning. Interesting, yeah. And I, yeah, and I talked to a fireman fairly recently and I asked, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. I asked firemen, how often do they go out on carbon monoxide calls in the winter? One or more times a month. Oh, wow. There could be tens of thousands of people nationwide that are sickened by carbon monoxide. And from what I understand that uh, it's not necessarily unheard of for a physician to misdiagnose non-lethal CO poisoning for the flu. Oh, interesting. Huh. Now, I, I, again, maybe that's something you would want to look in, but I'm, I'm personally convinced that uh, long-term exposure to low-level CO emissions is is not healthy, and I certainly don't have the answer because, you know, probably forty percent of America cooks with gas stoves, and uh, you know the gas yeah, it's just, it, absolutely everywhere. But it sounds like your company would be in a very unique position to look at carbon monoxide, yeah. which is CO two, very dangerous cousin CO. Oh, for sure. Yes, yes. I, I'm taking a note of that. That's really interesting. And I know, uh, you know, outside of the U.S., the, you know, there's a people cook inside their homes with open flames and that sort of thing. And so the IAQ is um, a, a very serious problem and it contributes to health in very negative ways outside the U.S. especially. So we uh, were interested in helping that as well. And also, uh, you know, lower income communities, it's it's always a difficult one because it's like you know how do you how do you pay for that but that's uh again this is this is a technology that that we think will help change how we interact with each other how safe we feel in our environment um you know it it's preparing us for the next pandemic and i i hate to say that but there's going to be another one and we all know it and you know we were we were a bit lucky with covid last time that it was, you know, I, I know that it did, obviously, uh, it was deadly, but the the mortality rate was not as high as some other potential pathogen, pathogens. So, you know, if we're dealing with something worse than COVID in the future, we have to have the infrastructure in place now to be prepared for that. And I know that's a big part of what you and, um, you know, a lot of people that you know, Gary, are working on, and it's, it's very admirable. Um, the conversation needs to be really taken up a level um, politically and all of that. And that's something we also are, are looking into pursuing because we have, you know, we, we work with our congressional staff on the government side and, uh, you know, this is a really, really important conversation. So. Well, hi, hi Anna, JB here. I've been listening in um, and I'm glad you brought that up because in the back of my mind, you know, m moving forward, 
especially for companies like yours that are in that are in the process of actually designing, developing, manufacturing, and going to market with new IAQ technology, using old science uh, with new demands, et cetera. I want to get your take on organizations and the role they play, such as ASHRAE, um, rolling out, you know, like recently the new 241 standards, Um, you you know, because you kind of touched on a lot of um, uh, things, uh, your local congressional reps, uh, where politics comes into play, you know, COVID hits two, two and a half, three years into your formation, obviously raising tremendous awareness on air quality in general. Um, but going back to ASHRAE in particular, what do you really see their role moving forward? Because yes, we know that they do a ton of research. They create these standards, um, but they are uh, more from um, uh, kind of a scientific cerebral world. When and how do you see actual transaction requirements between policy with Congress and ASHRAE in regards to product like yours and the need that uh, that is now becoming more mainstream? Yes. Yeah, so, so ASHRAE, I believe, is critical to the conversation. They, they have a, a challenging job, uh, if you ask me, because there's a lot of tech out there that may not be safe. Uh, that you know, they, and and they're looking into the science, and they're they're um, formulating requirements and suggestions and recommendations and all of that. Um, but for technology that is backed by science, that is tested, and all of that, that that could help. In my view, you know, they they can help support those companies and those technologies. Um, not so. This is where. Again, unlike some of your other guests, I am I've been in this particular space since COVID. So it hasn't been like a decade or 20 years or anything like that. So Ashray, I I'm obviously familiar with the organization. I know what they do and all of that, but I, I'm not an expert in that space and exactly, you know, all of that. But but I believe that, you know, their recommendations are very, very important. And if they have consistent recommendations of how to create a safe environment, a healthy building, a healthy school and all of that, then that can be raised to, you know, the higher powers for policy and funding and all of that. So that's how I see it, uh, that they they are sort of doing the the third party uh, validation from a science standpoint, recommending, you know, what makes sense to create safer spaces. And then that that needs to be taken um, the next stage, because it's really, it's really at the policy level where we're going to make huge strides. Quick, quick follow up, Gary, and then I'll get out of the way here uh, for you, Anna. Um, kind of a part B in your experience in discussing with your local congressional uh, teams, uh, representatives. Are you seeing more of an open door policy or more of a willingness to address these types of issues specifically? Uh, you know, since COVID, um, is is it welcomed? interaction in your experience? Is it, hey, prove it to me? You know, I'm, I'm not a science denier, but bring me facts. W- what's been the re- reception that you've experienced in your market with those representatives in trying to push this technology forward? They've been very open to it. 
so really, really no pushback. I think uh, part of that is just the relationship and our, our personal reputation at Aura um, that we are, you know, science and uh, the engineering is top of mind and very high quality and all of that. So I think there's a trust level there, but they've been very open. Um, some of our government customers as well, um, which also could really help with the conversation if if the government, um, you know, starts to push IAQ technologies, and, and they are interested, by the way, uh, they're very interested, then, and if they have separate requirements, separate from ASHRAE uh, in the government sector. So if we could get requirements in that sector, then that helps with the conversation greatly with congressional staff, for sure. A long time ago, Anna, uh, I think it was 1948, uh, the Federal Water Pollution Control Act was enacted, first of its kind. And it took over 20 years for the public to learn about water pollution and literally demand that a lot more be done. And wow. in 1972, that act, uh, it was significantly expanded and amended and it was renamed and it's called the Clean Water Act that continues today. That was followed by the Safe Drinking uh, Water Act, I think uh, two years later. The reason for mentioning that is, do you think someday there's gonna be a safe indoor air quality act? Yes, I do, absolutely. Okay. And I, 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 I may be optimistic in saying this, but I think it, will, it won't take that long. I think the, the momentum around this subject, given what we just dealt with and how it impacted the entire world, got everyone's attention. They understand the importance of it. And that's why we're seeing this discussion um, risen. You know, I always, <laughs> when I'm sort of introducing the product at various people, at trade shows and whatnot, I say, you know, have you heard of indoor air quality? And almost, you know, hands down, everyone says, well, yeah, of course. Like, well, did you hear of it prior to COVID? Most people say no. I've had one yes, and I'm sure both of you would have said yes because uh, you've been in the industry, but most people didn't. I mean, there is a reason for that. There's a reason why it's now important. We understand why indoor air matters. Uh, it's always mattered, but, you know, unfortunately, we had a very traumatic worldwide event occur that taught us a, a, a lesson. You know, I hate to put it that way. And so I think it. the conversations are therefore I believe will be easier uh, at the policy level with uh, with our congressional staff um, in supporting that. But yeah, no, no doubt about that. Uh, I I'm on the same page with you. I think the IQ industry will be end up someday being very tightly regulated, and I think I think there will be either a safe IAQ act or buildings will be ventilation certified. Yeah. I don't see that coming anytime soon, but there's there's zero public demand. I say I say zero. There's very little public demand that a lot more be done about the air that we breathe indoors right now. So educating the public is key. Let me ask you this. You're, Absolutely, yes. Yeah, let me ask you this. You're young, you're a mom, you have, I presume, a couple young children. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have older children as well, but yes. Fantastic. <laughs> Have you ever attended a local school board meeting and uh, walked up to the microphone and asked the school board, uh, hey, hey, guys, uh, you know, what's going to, you know, what are we doing here? 
The reason I say that is because 7 million people in America that are 18 and under have asthma and asthma is the number one reason for school absenteeism. And according to the American Lung Association, if my memory serves me correctly, that 40% of schools in America have poor ventilation. I mean, our, our, our school infrastructure is crumbling. And uh, you're in a unique position as a mom at the local level at a minimum and then what you're doing and you're connected with government officials. But, uh, and it's not just the air. There's uh, reportedly there's lead in drinking water in schools. Uh, you know, this it's not a fun, you know, it's, it's a complicated subject. And yes, it, it, it uh, involves money and to rebuild our school infrastructure would require a massive investment. But I don't see that coming. I don't see any attention to that. But if you want to, if you want to go, go to the next school board meeting, walk up to the mic and, and let us know what happened. No, I think that that's one way to do it. And, and I do think back to the education component. Uh, we actually are, uh, you know, I, I am an optimist, I will say. So I get, I understand, I agree with you that it's going to take time. But again, I think I believe in uh, humankind and I think people are, are sensible, reasonable. They don't want their children uh, breathing unhealthy air. They, you know, there are molds in schools making teachers sick and all of that. And if the general public were aware of this and really understanding of it, the conversation would change in almost an instant. And on top of it, we're in a day and age where social media is a very, very relatively inexpensive tool to educate. Um, and it's it's quick. I mean, you see things go viral and all of that. And, you know, they're and, and we're going to start in that conversation of trying to educate and all of that. And I know that you're also doing that, which is fantastic. Um, but, you know, getting that out on social media, you know, doing doing campaigns of that nature um, and the more times people see it, the more, you know, it's going to be consumer generated demand that they're, they're they're not going to stand for it anymore. Um, and so I, I believe that will happen sooner rather than later. And once that happens, you know, the politicians will listen because. You know, you know how that whole system. Oh, well, well, let me let me ask a question then. Um, and this is really more of like a, a, a ten thousand foot view of the industry. You know, because I I think in terms of the IAQ marketplace as a current real time wild wild west. However, we're talking about an industry that is a century plus old, you know, heating and air conditioning and, you know, filters, things like that. It's been around a long time as, as compared to, you know, tech advances, tech wild, wild west with AI and IOT and all the, these things where the barrier to entry is learn how to code, go do it, figure it out. And to your point, if you have something, the ability to brand it, to market it and move it to market uh, via social media in particular is, is is super easy. How do you see your company in an, you know, a generational, multi-generational industry, that being HVAC and, and clean air, in what is now a pseudo wild, wild west with awareness, technology, um, how are you? How are you guys feeling about being part of the the carrier Modine environment 
with new technology? I, I think we're actually really well positioned because again, we're not, we're not stepping on anyone's toes, if you will. I mean, this is a, a completely new space and there's an educational component behind that. We try to, you know, on our website, if you go and look, we try to, you know, use visuals to explain the technology, but you know, all of our patents and, and intellectual property uh, are around, you know, the mixing of air masses and all of that. And nobody else is in that space. Nobody else is trying to block contaminants from entering. They're just trying to purify the air or filter the air. Um, you know, so so that that I think is helpful because we I hope we will not be viewed as a threat. It's we're not a threat. We're we're help. We're helping with the conversation. We are complementing other um, great technologies. And then, unfortunately, there's some technologies out there that don't actually do what they they say. But, you know, but, you know, never mind about those. But the that that's how I see it. I think I think those uh, again, once once we get over the education hurdle of what we are and what we can offer, what we can do for a space, for a, a building, I think the conversations will be very easy and everyone will say, oh, OK, yep, that this is really useful. This can be applied in lots of areas that. Um, and we can't, you know, filter company or purifying company, we can't do what you're doing. And we're not trying to do that either. So again, it's a good, good compliment. Re regarding wildfire smoke, uh, were you in an area that was affected by the wildfire smoke this past summer? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, it wasn't, uh, I think it got moderate where we were uh, in North Carolina, but, but it, we definitely felt it for sure. Okay. Did you check? Did you check your filters before and after, so to speak? And it, you know, if so, uh, if so, hopefully you did. But uh, what did you notice about your filters? I will. I will say my husband probably did. I did not. So, <laughs> but yes, we. I'm sure they did not look great. That's a good point. Okay, and the question becomes, you know, what type of filter somebody has. You probably know that filtration is is very specialized, and but yet at the same time, you go to your local supermarket, buy it, can buy an HVAC filter. Uh, but in talking to various HVAC contractors in my past, I've, you know, I've randomly asked them how often do they see a dirty, filthy, and even severely clogged filter on their service calls, right? And they all said all the time, right. Uh, do you think America has a filter change problem? I'm sure they do. Yes, we don't in this house because my husband. Is <laughs> but, but I know I know that is a problem, and I, I don't. Again, it's an education thing. I, I don't think folks truly understand uh, the value of keeping their filters replaced and clean, and and the level of filtration that they're they're using and all of that is not well understood. Um, you know, and and honestly, like what they really need to do is they need to invent something to, you know, beep at you or something. Or I know there's apps for it, but, you know, something on the actual filter or outside something that tells you, hey, it's time uh, to change me. That that would be helpful. But anyway, that's a yeah. kind, <laughs> kind, of, kind of like a screaming baby. Yes. <laughs> it's time. Get this thing yeah. off me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's it's easily overlooked. Uh, you know, all of us have other priorities, but it, it's so important. And of course, it's universally agreed upon that filtration is a one significant way to protect human health indoors. Regarding your technology, does it uh, enable particulate matter that's airborne particles? They can track other particles that are airborne. Um, is there, is there uh, an urge? 
is there a coag is there coagulation or are particle matters attracted to other particle matter matters matters so that larger particles are more easily filtered easily out filtered. by the Absolutely, yes. That's what negative air ions do. They uh, the um, there's a technical term for it, but they essentially um, uh, bunch together the the contaminants in the air, and it makes it easier for the filters to filter them out. Yeah, and and then because of the heavier weight of some of those filter uh, some of those particulate matter, uh, you know, pieces, so to speak, they'll end up on the floor. And so in your process, you know, regarding ionization, uh, I'm sure you know this now, there's gonna be, uh, there's gonna be a lot of people that don't really believe in your technology. Yep. Uh, and that's up to you to figure out how best to, you know, deal with that. But you're, you're obviously heavily uh, invested in science and technology, uh, which leads me to, I meant, I should have asked you earlier, but regarding indoor air quality monitoring, do you think there also will come a day where outdoor air quality monitoring locally will work in tandem with indoor air quality monitoring. It certainly should. Um, that I would imagine is a little further out because it's more complex, but especially uh, outside of the US where, well, there's actually pollution problems obviously in our cities in the US, but you know, I, there are folks um, in other countries that I know that, um, I mean, they, they are, obsess over their indoor air quality because the outdoor air quality is so bad. So they don't ever want to open their doors and windows and all of that. So uh, so it, it needs to be part, especially because the ventilation is, is part of the, uh, you know, the, the full system. But if you have very unhealthy outdoor air, you know, how, how is that going to play? We, you know, the ventilation will be introducing contaminants. So, you know, having filters and all of that. So that's where I'm not an expert. You're more of an expert in that area than I am. But yes, I do think it, it should be, uh, it should be a complete system uh, okay. in the future. Okay. Or is your company involved with water at all by chance? We are not, not currently. No. Okay. Yes. Okay. So. Let me ask you this. Maybe uh, maybe your husband, if, unfortunately, is not here today, which is understandable. What do you guys do at home to uh, protect everybody uh, regarding the indoor air quality? Uh, so we have filters in our house as well. We have um, great, we have very high quality, uh, you know, for the actual HVAC, we have, you know, the the upgraded version or whatever, and I don't know what level they're at, but uh, we have that. We also have purifiers um, on that cover the major areas that we're in. Uh, we don't have an ion bar yet, <laughs> but we hope to. We will at some point. Uh, but that's that's what we do right now. Okay. Did you by chance? Uh, I think it was the end of October. Uh, Joe Allen with Harvard. He was yeah. on CBS 60 Minutes talking yes. about, did you by chance, did you see it? And if so, yeah. you know, what were your thoughts about that? Uh, I I think it's, again, that's that to me was sort of a turning point of, of changing the conversation, raising the conversation um, to the public in a way that's understandable, very visual. You know, I, I really liked what they did there. Uh, it was it was fantastic. So we uh, yeah, 60 Minutes has a obviously a, a huge audience, something like nine million people tune in. But based on what I see, Anna, uh, the environmental news in the mainstream news cycle is unprecedented. The amount it's literally every day, and not just in the U.S. It's worldwide. You know, it's about climate change. 
Right. It's about drought. It's about solar decarbonization. But this other environment, the indoor environment, literally doesn't exist unless there's a pandemic. Right. In the environmental news cycle, that's the mainstream. I think there's going to come a day that that may change. I hope it isn't once another pandemic. Uh, does I, hope I hope not. I hope and not. I hope not. Yeah, yeah. I, you're well. You're well connected. If you would happen to know any government officials that would like to be a guest on the indoor air pod, sure, be glad to have them on. JB and I would welcome that. Yeah, uh, we won't scare. We won't scare them away. No, no, sure. no. And, and a real quick here because we are actually kind of approaching the finish line. Um, sure. For our listeners. Um, not only what's the best place to check out the technology, I'm assuming it's the website, but in, if in fact they would like to reach out to you personally, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, so the website is auraionbar.com. It's A-U-R-A ionbar.com. Um, the company is Aura Technologies. It is a separate site, but it's connected to it. Um, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way. Uh, to get in touch. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Really appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Indoor Air Pod, produced by Gaslight STL, your podcast partner. Be sure to give our show a follow to keep up with upcoming guests and topics. And please reach out with any questions or guest suggestions.